Hey, how you doing? Um, thanks for listening, clicking, downloading, whatever. Um, very much appreciate it. I hope everyone's well and um, everything's good in your lives. Um, this is the first podcast for a while and it all it may sound like I'm recording this in a toilet. I'm not. Um, I am uh, in uh, the living room of a place in uh, Portugal where we are for a few days trying to get some sun and relaxation. Oh, look at him in Portugal, hey? Um, uh, yeah, so it might sound like I'm in a toilet. I'm not. There's just a lot of um, cool marble uh, on the floor and um, it's, it's, uh, it's quite an open space. So um, apologies. <laughs> I'm not definitely sitting in a toilet um, recording this. Um, I won't want to put that image in your head. So um, yes, hope everyone's well. This episode is with uh, someone who I hugely admire, um, respect and um, someone I have a great uh, joy of working with, um, Damien Reese, who's co-founder of Experience UX. Um, and I know a lot of you guys who listen to this um, know of Experience UX and, and um, have an equal amount of respect for them and what they do. Uh, I'm really lucky to, to do some work with them. Um, and I've been wanting to talk to Damien on the podcast for quite a while now. And um, we finally managed to, to pull everything together and, and get it done over a lunch a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm going to get him on again. Um, and I'm hoping to get Damien on with a couple of other guys on a, on a kind of round table discussion sometime in the future. Um, so we talk about uh, quite a few things around uh, uh, the human at the center of a lot of user experience and customer experience, um, the, 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 the challenges of making connection between the business and individuals through digital channels. Uh, and also we, uh, we look at more uh, uh, matters of the ego and of the personality as well. So I hope you enjoy it and um, I'll come back to you uh, at the end. Cheers. Right, this is the proper one now. No more dry runs. Okay. <laughs> so, I would have done the introduction, but who are you? <laughs> what are you, as usual, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, I always find it quite hard to answer what I do, but who yeah. am I yeah. is um, Damien. I'm Damien. Um, I'm co founder and more like an operations director these days of Experience UX. Um, and what we do as a company is all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. that I always find it quite difficult to define. Um, but I think ultimately we try and focus on the relationship or the interaction between humans and businesses. So I think we're broader than just UX these days, mm. um, and, and looking at the wider interaction that a business has um, with a customer and we want to be involved in any of those interactions. So, whereas in the past we've just done the UX of a website, for example, I think now we're looking much more about the relationship um, between that person and that business and how we can affect that. So, one of the things that we've talked about, and I know quite a few people who, for some reason, listen to this, the whole UX, CX, Mm-hmm. relationship and it's interesting you use the word relationship so what what is involved in the relationship between a business and a customer or a user um, because my, my experience is that sometimes people get confused between what an experience is and what a transaction is mm-hmm. where where do you see the stuff that that you do here at AUX where do you see that how do you see that bridging that gap um, I don't want to 
honestly know mm. if I'm honest. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of terms going around with the CX, with the UX, mm. um, that there's just no clear definition of what that really means. But I think when you look at a relationship between a customer and a business, it can span so many touch points, so many interactions. And, and again, I'm, I'm trying to avoid the term touch point yeah. because I think it's, again, a bit misused and a bit muddied. And I think it's more than just a call center, for example. It's just, it's an interaction. Yeah. Um, so that relationship can be short-lived, it can be intense, it can be full of highs and lows. And I think that it's a complex relationship, sometimes can be really good relationship between a business and a customer. Um, but I think ultimately where it doesn't work very well is where customers aren't really seen as human beings by the business. And you know, we've all sat in meetings where we've got people in a business or a client organization who talk about customers as um, numbers, mm. they're, they're just data. The X number of people who are going through the registration process or X number of people who've made a claim or whatever it is. And that can be very dehumanizing. And I think our job is to put the humans back into that relationship and, and highlight the fact that actually all of these people sat around this table are people who interact with businesses and get pissed off when they can't do stuff and get fed up when the, the business doesn't respond in, in a respectful way and they don't like being treated like a number, and yet they're quite comfortable to be that to other people mm. in a business context. Mm. Um, I think I've lost complete sight of what your question was. No, but that was interesting because you were talking about human. I heard a, a client the other day, a client of a client the other day, use the old Henry Ford. Yes, that reminds me of that does. Yeah, so um, <laughs> there is a balance in certain customers in certain markets where there's a risk that the human, the customer, is nothing more than lip service. Mm -hmm. and they've already decided what they are going to do. And um, so how does that balance work between, because in some ways, right, in some ways, there is a, um, a brilliant idea that comes out of a business sometimes. We can do this in a certain way and we're going to plough on regardless. Mm -hmm. And you know the Henry Ford thing. Okay, fair enough. You know he came up with the idea or the kind of proposition for the Model T, um, and he did drag customers along with him. And you could argue that's what Amazon are doing with Alexa, and Google are doing. No one really needs those things, mm -hmm. but they're dragging them along. So how how do how do you get the human or the business to really understand that it's all about the customer, all about the human at the centre of the? Because it's a difficult. We both mm -hmm. struggle with it. And I, Yep. Um, again, I don't know the answer. Mm. I think you have to look at. I really like the sense and response stuff that um, the guys again at the Lean UX been doing, and they talk about this two-way relationship, two-way communication between a customer and a business, yeah. and how um, you know the car industry, for example, as soon as we're on board. Um, Incidentally, I don't think he actually said that quite. No, well. I, no, no, I don't I think, think people. <laughs> Sort of mis misread that or misquote it. Uh, secondly, um, they look at the car industry and, and the car industry is around this whole idea that they come up with a new car and every um, car season they launch the new car on the public and the public 
pretty much just lap it up or they don't. Yeah. And it's it's a risky it's a risky business because some cars block and some don't. And and how Tesla have come along completely revolutionised that mm. because what they've come up with is more of a software based car. Um, and they can release software overnight and change that car and the way you interact with it. And um, they gave an example of a guy who tweeted Elon Musk saying, um, you know, the problem with all of the power points, you know where you connect the yeah, chargers. The chargers yeah. Yeah. So they're all basically people are parking up, charging their car and going off for two or three hours you know, shopping. And actually, the car's done within a certain amount of time. Mm. And so the problem is, is that people are just sitting on those those charging points and, and not allowing other people in. And so the next day, uh, they rolled out a change to that so that basically you would get charged by the minute after the point at which your car was charged. Okay. Right. And Elon Musk replied to that guy and said, you're absolutely right. We've changed the software. From now on, this is what's going to happen. And that's completely different completely different model of communication between a car company and, and its customers yeah and how really that relationship of a two-way is quite foreign to most companies hmm. most of our clients are quite find it difficult hmm. because ultimately they are used to coming up with a new product and rolling it out and you know hoping for the best and they do some a bit of intelligence they do a bit of um, research in inverted commas which really just proves then right, it does not research that we would, might do where we actually go objectively to understand customers and the problems they're having. And yeah. They go out to pretty much prove the point they had uh, or prove the idea. Um, and, and that's not two-way dialogue. So again, I think I've probably lost sight of your question, but I think the two-way dialogue is what we are trying to push our clients to do because really I think businesses are changing and customers are changing in the way in which we expect to interact with companies and organizations we do expect to influence things we do expect to have our say and when we can't do we vote with our feet I think I think we probably are starting to can I ask a question on that then it's interesting because if you think about take Tesla let's stick with the cars for, 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 for a minute so, so he's able to do that, respond in, in such a way and change um, his product um, because of software, because of tech. And actually that's directly changing his customer's behavior. Mm -hmm. He's directly stopping them parking their car there for longer than they should or longer than they need to. If, if we look at the car insurance industry where they're using technology to black box, monitor, track, um, and um, they are influencing customers' behaviour directly, yeah. influencing customers' behaviour. Is, is that a two-way dialogue? Or is that... No. Yeah, and, 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 and that's... Yeah, and uh, that's where... Yeah. That, that's, an, that's something I'm trying to unpick at the moment. Um, yeah, is that... Because it's being sold as... Dare I say it? That word that means you don't like hugely personalization. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, it's it, it's quite repressive in a way. What yeah. do you think about what do you think about that use of tech in terms of changing an experience, but by changing someone's behaviour? Is that 
Yeah, I, I, think, I think as I said, I think look at the intent behind that. So the intent behind Tesla is to create a good customer experience and, and, and create a car that you don't need to keep trading in. Mm. It, it's not a, you know, this model out of date next <laughs> year. It's a, it's a, you buy a Tesla and it's a, it's an experience that you keep on giving effectively. It is a piece of software and can be updated. Um, so I think if you look at the car insurance industry, the reason why they're doing that is because they don't want to pay out on claims. Mm. You know, so the intent's completely different. They want to save money by changing our behaviour. Mm. Same as the um, health insurance business right. who want to make you healthy because obviously you're, low, you're lower risk. Mm -hmm. um, same as why they, um, the car insurers want you to effectively buy, you know, really tiny little engine around town cars mm. because you're less risk mm. you know and, and that that's the intent is to save you money effectively so if we if we move well if we take that to the next level we think about the way that you know we've, we've worked on projects where we want to increase conversions <laughs> we want to get people to potentially buy things that they may not have previously been aware they wanted to buy it. Mm -hmm. not, not manipulation, but the right side of that manipulation and persuasion line. Is that, does that feel to you as like a human focused driver? No. No. I don't think we're really involved in many, if any of those projects no. actually. Um, but we've come across them in the past. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think I think the focus on human is more about. Uh, we've said I've said this phrase quite a lot, but life's complicated enough, mm. and we've all got stuff we need to get done, and, and you know it's busy. We've got kids screaming. We've got we're late for meetings. You know we're late for appointments. Just rock up to the the car park and we put the money in the machine, and the, it's just not working. Or we press the wrong button, and then we're screwed. There's no undo feature. Yeah, I think. Being human or focusing on the human is, is acknowledging where customers are coming from, acknowledging real life, yeah. um, and finding a path between what customers need, what the business wants them to do, and finding a way of making it work. Yeah. Um, you know, we've all got problems mm. that we have to solve in life, and if the business has a solution to that problem, mm -hmm. it's not about forcing that solution down our throats. It's about showing us that actually this prob this problem that we have in daily life could be solved by the solution and here's a good way of making that match. Yeah. And and I think that's where traditional marketing and advertising and all that is really very broken at the moment. Um, because it just doesn't work anymore. I think we see through that. Yeah. But when um, organizations can show us that yeah, we've got busy lives, yeah, life's difficult, but actually if we do this, we'll, we can get this to you a bit easier. So Lemonade is something we've talked about before, yeah. the insurer in the US, and that's exactly what they've done. They've focused on the human, they've focused on the problem with insurance companies and trust, and they've looked at how can we get people to get their claims quickly and easily, with the least hassle possible, and that's what they've done. And Monzo is similar, where they didn't go out to deliver a technical solution necessarily. They looked at what's the problem for customers in the banking industry? How can we solve that? 
how can we provide a service where there is a bit more of a two-way? Mm. Um, and both Lemonade and Monzo, if you look at their Twitter feed, they're not, it's not a one-way broadcast. No. They ask speaking feedback. Yeah. They do want to know what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Where can we save you time and energy? And by the way, this is the good we can do in society, and this is the other stuff. And that feels much more of a human relationship. It's a bit of a give and take. It's yeah. an acknowledgement. It's a bit of almost a bit of an acknowledgement of vulnerability. Um, I don't know if you've seen the Brené Brown stuff, mm-hmm. but yeah. um, I think there's a, an element of that in, in these brands where to be a proper human-centered brand, you kind of have to acknowledge that you're not perfect. You don't have it all right. You could be making mistakes. You are rolling things out that maybe aren't perfect, but your intent is to build the bridges and that relationship and get it right in the long term. Yeah. And I think people are much more accepting of that than the brands who are coming out going, we've got it perfect. It's We've got this amazing product that's going to change your life. And then you sign up and it's shit. Don't you think that's, going back to an, an earlier contributor to this podcast, um, uh, Dave mentioned that there are certain companies who take that approach, which is, this is us, we're big enough, we're big enough to, and I suppose in, in effect Google and Facebook are getting to that stage. Maybe they've lost a little bit of that. I think they've definitely lost that relationship building, that focus on relationship building with customers. Dave was, Dave was saying that, that sometimes organisations are too big to worry about that or, or, or they'll cope with it on their, and then they're just hoover up the Monzo's and they'll hoover up the, um, the lemonades and they'll consume them and they'll continue their market growth and then the customer gets forgotten about. And that's an inevitable life cycle. of. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's changing? Do you think that there is the opportunity for businesses such as Monzo and Lemonade and others to really kind of properly shake up. I'm not talking disruptor mode because disruptor is just the word I think to get investment and then continue to lose money. Mm-hmm. But as Spotify have done and as as Lemonade are doing in the states, for those businesses that really do focus on that relationship, do you see do you see any examples potentially of real success? At the, where it really will scare the incumbents, where you know, are Monzo really going to scare Barclays and NatWest and Lloyds mm. and HSBC? I think they are scaring them. Do you think so? I think if you look at the. Is it changing their behaviour? Do you think? Is I, it don't know, I don't know if it's changing their behaviour mm. yet. Mm. I think it is scaring them. Yes. Because it's a new beast, it's a, it's a new way of thinking that is quite different. I think what we've seen, particularly with millennial um, mindset, I hate that term, so I, I kind of kick myself every time I use it. But it, there is a sense, I think, in in recent generations that actually they want to work with companies that have a heart and soul. Yeah. They want to work with brands or, you know, vote with their feet. You know, it's why Tom's are so successful yeah, yeah, in yeah. the tube yeah. sort of industry. I think there are a lot of brands out there that are capturing hearts and minds because mm. they have a heart. Mm. And I think people would actively vote to buy from those companies because of that mm. and are starting to shun the big players mm. because they don't give a shit. Mm. You know, um, I think there's certain marketplaces like um, telecoms and broadcasting where you don't have a lot of choice. Mm. You know, BT, for example, uh, a bit of a pet peg of mine. Um, 
it's kind of difficult to avoid them. Mm. I can avoid them, and I have done for many years. Um, but there's only a couple of decent players out there, and mm. they all run on the bloody BT system anyway, yeah, so yeah, it's very yeah, difficult to get away from it. So I think that, where, but where there's more choice, where banking is definitely opening up, I really do think that the Barclays should be scared. Mm. They might not be, mm. although they, I think they probably are a little mm. because they don't totally understand it, and they're probably reacting by setting up loads of innovation labs yeah. within Barclays, <laughs> yeah. uh, innovation teams to go and disrupt the market. Um, but I think until they find their heart and soul as a business, until they dial it back to focusing on real people, mm. I don't think they're going to solve that problem. Mm. And I think other companies like Monzo will grow because of that. Mm. I think Dave's point, if I've understood it right, was eventually Monzo will get to a size where they can't help but not give a shit about customers yeah. anymore. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Like, you know, we, we don't really have many of those models around to, to know that. Um, I think if you look at some of the good to great companies in the good to great book, if it's not the Fatima series, a lot of them aren't around so much anymore where they were set out to be a bit more heart and soul and big picture stuff and they kind of lost their way a little bit. So I think there could well be an element of truth to that, mm. but only time will tell. It's capitalism, really, yeah, isn't it? It, it comes down to that once you start making money, you want to make more. I think there's also, coming back to that other idea, that looking at um, the board is as you, so let's say you're a board member of Barclays, mm. when was the last time you felt competent, really? Mm. You know, when, when was the last time you stood in a branch and really listened to what was going on? Probably a bloody long time ago. Mm. And so I think there's an element of that, the leadership gets so disconnected over time, particularly as your company grows. From the actual customers and the actual humans that use that that product or service, that it's very hard for them to connect on an emotional level anymore, mm. and they do just seep into the data, um, and it is dehumanising. And I, I think that's sort of inevitable. I think um, I did an interview with Gerald Spool actually. Um, so if you don't know who he is, look him up because he's a bit of a founding father of UX really along with Don Norman um, a very sensible you know he's got lots of good opinions um, and one of the things he said to me is that when he goes in and consults with companies and he consults big companies one of the first thing he, he does is look at their culture and try and get them all to have a number of hours exposure with real customers mm. and so I think he's got a model of something like six hours every quarter or something like um, and I know Royal Mail do, or used to anyway, a lot of their the people in head office had to spend at least a day in a local post office. Mm. I don't know how often, mm. but once a quarter, let's say. And I think that model works because it reminds people, it reminds those people in the boardroom, treating people as numbers, that actually, you know, the little old ladies at the post office probably won't engage with that product in the way that you think they might do. Mm. And that exposure to real people is essential to re retain your perspective on the world and, and retain that heart and soul, if you like. So I think if the Monzos grow and they continue on their path of two-way dialogue, they have to implement a, a 
sort of cultural decisions within that organisation to ensure there is that client or customer contact um, in the higher ups. And do you think that? So, so, so with that in mind, if, if we're thinking about the Monzo's and the Lemonades, they've used. So there's two two kind of questions and a couple of things I want to talk about. So, so the first one is they've used. It sounds a terribly kind of trite way of saying it, but they've used standard technology to a certain extent, i.e. the web, mm-hmm. to um, engage with their customers. And yet they use, I hate the term AI, but they basically use algorithmic models mm-hmm. and, and just pump out information. What, where, in terms of looking projecting forward, I know it's quite difficult, what technology do you think and what type of experiences do you think the future Monzo's and Lemonade's, the, ones that go, the, the next generation, if you will, of relationship building businesses, how, how, are, how are the way they interact with customers, how is that going to change as technology becomes more advanced? Is it going to be, do you still see a space for um, screen-based relationships to be built? Is it going to be more audio? Is it going to be more, you know, it talks about some of the health insurers with wearables and that kind of stuff. Where do you think looking at getting that balance between business to human relationship and also the speed of technology is not going to slow down is it where where do you think how do you think experiences are going to change and where do you think the successes are going to come from tricky question just landed that on you sorry Um, again my answer is probably i don't know um i think where i would see well what i see at the moment i just see getting more um, growing, I suppose, that gap growing between you've got two different types of organisations. You've got the Monzo's and Lemonade, like I said, who are focused on the human problem. So what problems are people having? And then you've got other, plenty of other organisations going, well, what cool new technology can we implement mm. today? <laughs> you know, let, let's pull in the AI, let's pull in the virtual reality. Let's. I saw this thing the other day where um, <clears throat> in-flight entertainment is moving to a big push to do VR. So they're looking at getting VR headsets on, headsets on flights so um, people can sort of visualize the destination they're going to and all this kind of stuff. And I just looked at it and just thought, what, why? Why would I want to do that on a flight? I'd much rather sit there with a rum and coke. Yeah. <laughs> or even look out the window a little yeah, bit. Like, yeah. I just don't understand and that is, that is a marketing department, or a, I don't know what department, who've gone, oh, well, VR's really cool, and everyone's scrabbling to get on that train, let's just do that. So I think there's that, that, that will happen more and more, as people jump on the technology bandwagon, there's going to be more cool technologies out there, with holographics and all sorts of other stuff. And I think you will have that split between companies jump on technology for the sake of it and companies who focus on the human and use technology to enhance that interaction and relationship. Mm. And I can only see one winner in that, and, and that is the latter. Um, but who knows? You know, I'm no futurist. Although for someone who doesn't know, you do know quite a lot. <laughs> Every question you've gone down now, yes. and then you've come up with some great answers. Yes. And I just want to touch on that marketing angle um, because you wrote a piece a little while ago about what the internet in inverted commas has become mm-hmm. 
and it is very marketing influenced in a in a negative way. But do you want to? Because mm. I just thought it was a really good piece, and I just want to yeah, talk I think a little it was bit about a rant actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I didn't want to say the word rant. No, but it was <laughs> it was a rant about how the internet is broken, um, and I was putting together a talk actually that I delivered recently, and I was doing some research on it, and I was trying to look into interestingly, you've touched on it here about um, how big data actually depersonalizes people and what was the influence of that and I was linking it to Trump and a lot of his stuff and it was all getting quite big and but interesting I, I thought and what I found was that I was hitting website after website after website at, on this search for um, you know in-depth articles to, to back up this idea that I was having or was formulating and what I was receiving was a barrage of cookie consent, uh, data opt-ins, um, advertising, um, paywalls, um, the, uh, what's, what they call the advertising blockers that come up and say, you're using an ad blocker, you can't see this content, so yep. you enable it, then you enable it, and then you get a full-page ad straight away, then you get a video that follows you around the screen that you can't seem to get rid of. And all the while, I'm fighting these distractions to actually get to the content that I wanted and finding this isn't what the internet was designed for. No. This has so much potential as a, you know, a library information style tool, and yet it's being broken by, you know, the EU's data, data cookie policies, the... GDPR, which has good intentions, mm. um, videos and advertisers just shoving shit down our throats that we don't really want, mm. and then sort of chastising us for having ad blockers on, yeah. um, and and organisations trying to get us to pay for their content, but they haven't thought of better ways of delivering mm. content. So it feels like the internet is going through this period right now where it's really struggling. And, and I, for one, am, am struggling to engage with it. Mm. Um, and, and if anything, my my zone of influence and my, the sources that I use are becoming more restricted. Yeah. Because I don't really want yeah. ad blockers and cookies. I don't want to constantly opt in and opt out and all that sort of shit. Yeah. I just want to read content. So if anything, I'm, I'm narrowing. listening, yeah. narrowing my field of vision, which can't be a good thing. Um, well, which is what Trump, if we go back to him, yeah. it's what he played on, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the echo chambers of the Facebooks. and um, Yeah, so I do strongly believe it's broken. I don't have the solution, mm. um, which I guess is part of the problem, isn't it? Mm. That we might all see it, but none of us know how to fix it. But I do think that fundamentally the internet, as it stands at the moment, needs to change it's interesting I, I, well you know I totally agree and, and a lot of people who listen to this know, know my th thoughts on it but there's 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 something I've been looking at and the technology's been around for a while now it's it's, it's um, everyone's probably knows about it. it's solid it's Tim Berners-Lee's new project which is um, in effect rather than users going to services and asking for access, it turns the relationship the other way. So you might go to a website, but the service will come to you 
and ask you for data mm -hmm. to enable it to show information to you that you might want. Yeah. But you own that content and you own your data and it can only use that data once to give you access and then it, you know, and, and whether that's ultimately will be successful, but it does show a slightly different way of thinking. And, and I quite like that. And you can decouple your, you own your data, it becomes a currency. You can decouple your data from any service that you use at any time. Mm -hmm. Now, right, with the current web and the internet, that's only gonna have a limited amount of success because of the way cookies work and all that kind of stuff. But if there is another option or another way, that's it, there's something in it, you know? There's something in, when people start to realize how much money is being made from their data without their knowledge, it might, but like you said, right, we're in it, we know it's broken, but we can't get out of it. Mm -hmm. um, half an hour gone, see? So I went quickly, didn't it? Mm -hmm. Couple more questions, okay. right? Um, and these are a bit more um, specific. Oh no, I'm specific. Um, a couple of I listened to an Alan Alder. You remember Alan Alder out of Mash? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he does a podcast. Now. He's, a, he's a he's got a doctorate in the states. I think he's um, he focuses on communication, and he's got a really good podcast. Very relaxed, as you'd imagine. And he talks about how uh, how to effectively communicate with people. And one question he asks of all his guests is um, is what you really wish you understood oh, as we're sitting question. here now it's a good question and yeah. it, it changes but what is there is there something as you're sitting here now that you think god i'd really really like to understand that and it might change tomorrow because <laughs> something goes but it always makes me think but i, I don't mm. know what it's a great question yeah i wish i had a more intelligent answer yeah but the first thing that jumps into my mind that's not re releasing from it is the motivations of other people. Yeah, it's fun. I was thinking the ego. Yeah, I would love to understand what hmm. what is an ego, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the I think we we talk a lot, and we've been talking to our clients a lot recently about intrinsic motivation. Hmm. So the difference between extrinsic being uh, rewarded for you know things being rewarded for a behaviour mm. rather than intrinsic where you are sort of self-rewarding based on you know you're doing it for a bigger cause and I guess I'm kind of aware that a lot of people don't know their intrinsic motivations mm. and so if they don't know them how am I yeah. to know them and yet I feel like it's such an important question when you come to looking at relationship for example between a customer and a business because if the business can't predict and understand people's intrinsic motivations to using a service mm. or product, then they can't fully create that relationship as a kind of you know a, a really positive, impactful one. Mm. And yet, it seems like such an important thing to understand for us to design those relationships and to build on things, but also just in personal everyday life. You know, in supporting my team grow. Mm. If I can really understand what's driving their motivations, then I can help them. Yeah. Um, so it's one that I suppose I've always been fascinated people, and that's why I do what I do. Yeah. Um, and it's one that's always fascinated me. You know, watching serial killer shows, and you know what what drives that motivation? Because we sort of think we know, but we don't really know, and there's no real way of properly knowing. Mm. So 
for me, that's something I would like to yeah. understand. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's the, for me, it's the ego. I want to know if I could understand what is an ego really and how it comes to pass and how do you how do, how do, how do they get overblown and how do they influence decisions really and and how, how do you cut them to size anyway yeah that's that's just, just on that I was listening to a really good podcast this morning um, Design Matters interviewing Brennan Brown yeah and she has written a book um, and she talks about people need for power and where yeah. that comes from really good so oh really I'll have a listen to yeah, that yeah recommend that. that that goes some way to understanding a little bit behind ego um, but, but where you know people's drive for power comes from or powerlessness and where where that comes from quite interesting I'll have a listen is there anything else you're reading or listening to at the moment that you would recommend Mu- music books yeah. culture anything like that because yeah, I know you're into quite a few things yeah like. I try and listen to podcasts every day on my way to work or an audio book mm. um, I keep coming back to Tim Ferriss yeah I think the yeah. interviews are great I think all of that stuff is just brilliant yeah um, I actually occasionally drop into Harvard Business Review they've got a good podcast uh-huh. some of their stuff's quite good they have quite a good one on the four types of conflict okay the other day, which I used in the team session, yeah, um, really good. It just helps you kind of depersonalize the conflict that you're having and actually yeah. look at what are we disagreeing over the task or the process or or the status um, of who owns this. So it's just sort of really useful. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I do listen to lots of stuff and and I read quite a lot of stuff, but I find I dip in and out a lot. Mm. I find I get half through an audio book and I'm a bit like. Yeah, I'm a bit bored of this now. Need something else. So podcasts for me are, are bite-sized chunks that I can listen to and from work in a day mm. and get pretty much everything I need from it. Mm. Um, and I look at lots of different sources, most of which just get my brain thinking. So you know, there's no one source for me, but I do keep coming back to Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss. It's interesting. Someone once said to me, um, "I was too thoughtful." Sometimes, you know, oh, you're too thoughtful. And the irony of that is not lost on me. <laughs> how can you be too, how can you think too much mm-hmm. about stuff? Um, and, and I think you're quite, you're quite similar. You're a thinker and you do kind of go through things and you do kind of work out puzzles in your head before you start laying the pieces down. And, and this is another question that, that Alan Alder asks around when you're dealing with customers in the main who just want to jump ahead and just want to kind of keep um, jumping in or interrupting and all that kind of stuff, because um, we've all had them, um, how do you how do you deal with that? How do you stop somebody who's, should we say, a client that's a bit more forceful, maybe doesn't think as much? How do you how do you stop them talking? And how do you? Because I think you're one of the best guys at being able to best guys I've met been able to just kind of slowly turn there how do you how okay, do you do well, it I, I deal with the first bit the bit the bit that you mentioned about being too thoughtful I think mm. there's a difference between thinking things through and ruminating yeah and yeah. ruminating is where the negative bit is that yeah. you're just going over and over and over and then it gets unhealthy yeah um, but analysis and deep thought is definitely not the main thing so 
I guess it, challenging somebody who just wants to go ahead and get shit done, uh, you know, I can empathise hmm. with that situation. So I think that's probably first. I get frustrated when I've been banging on about something and we still haven't made it happen. Yeah. And they get to the point where it's just, why isn't anybody listening to hmm. me? And I think that is the em- empathy bit, which is, is this person feeling like no one's listening? Hmm. Can I show that I've listened? Hmm. Yeah, I understand your problem, Mr. Client. I, I hear your frustration that things aren't getting done. However, are things getting done? Because there are probably things going on behind the scenes that are happening, that are moving things forward, and there might be a reason why things are slowing up. Um, and I think it's probably just pointing back to some of those old cliches of quotes from Einstein, you know, thinking about the problem before you actually try yeah. to solve it. And there's the sharpening of the axe line, you know, sharpen yeah. the axe before. Yeah, all of that stuff. Um, it's just about actually preparing and thinking things through and anyone can launch a new product and it fail. Mm. You know, that's, it's easy, anyone can do that. And just banging your hand on the table going, we'll get it out there. Mm. Are you really being an effective leader like that? Probably not. And are you going to get a successful product? You might do, if you're lucky. Mm. Um, there's no guarantees. I think stepping back and really understanding the human in that equation and challenging people on, you know, there's actually a lot of shit out there. People are dealing with lots of complexity in their lives. Are they going to engage with this new thing that you're banging your hand on the table to get out there when actually they've already got plenty of other shit on their plate? Mm. In order to reach that person and convince them to use something new, there's that understanding and appreciation for the fact that they might not want, you know, yes, they want to solve that problem, mm. but they might not want to interact and learn a new product mm-hmm. or a new service. Yeah. And there's a barrier there just in the, just in the getting shit done in your own life yeah. and the day-to-day stresses and complexities that we have that engaging with a new product is usually quite complex. Yeah. There's, there's financial implications, there's time, there's headspace, there's all sorts of things that encompass that. So I think taking a step back and really understanding how, how, how do we solve the user adoption problems with this? How do we make it so that it's a pro- product, service, whatever, that really solves somebody's problem and that they can visibly see that if I adopt this thing, it's really going to save me time, it's yeah. really going to improve my life, it's really going to do whatever it is. Because if they can't see it and the barrier just feels a little bit too big too and big. it's not totally obvious, yeah. they're not going to adopt it. Yeah, yeah. And, and every product gets to the point of user adoption yeah. and it will either get adopted or it won't. Yeah. Um, so I think what I often talk about is taking it back to like how can we influence user adoption for yeah. this thing yeah. and throwing it out the door and hoping for the best and slapping those marketing on it doesn't solve that problem. No. No, now, no, you no. might get some early adopters there who would who like exploring new things, but the majority of us, sort of, you know, everyday adults, got kids and jobs and mm. you know shit going on adoption for me is a slow process yeah and i have to be convinced convinced yeah 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 and and and, and through through it talks about empathy and empathy is an often overused word isn't it but used by people who don't really understand it i think but being able to understand the situations the contextual we talk a lot about context and the contextual situations people find themselves in mm-hmm. 
including people who just want to get shit out there. It's, yeah, that's your secret, huh? That's why you turn people around. Well, I don't know about that. Well, you do. Yeah. <laughs> you're very good at it. Yeah, I, but I do think, yeah, you're right about empathy. It's very overused and it's not a step in a process. No, it's not a step in a process, um, no. It's a, it's a skill we've all got and we can all train ourselves to be better at. Yeah. Um, I think I think there is an argument to say you can get almost too empathetic yeah. and be a little bit wrapped up in the emotion of the problem. Yeah. And yeah, actually yeah. not... You know, you have to be a certain way in, yeah, but not totally in because then you can't take the seriously. Be de- kind of um, not uncompassionate, but you can kind of decouple yourself from it. Mm-hmm. That's what you need to do, right? Being objectively empathetic. Yeah. On that note, objectively empathetic. <laughs> That's been forty minutes. We only said we were going to do half an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll we'll take that over to the next one. We'll definitely do another one. Okay. Thank you, mate. That's no, it. No Brilliant. Thank you very yeah. much. Hey, so um, so that was it. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, we were only meant to do it for thirty minutes, and um, Damien humoured me for for another ten to twelve minutes longer. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, I hope um, uh, you picked up on as as I did when we were talking around. Um, Damien Damien started a lot of the sentences with his answers with um, I'm not sure really. I don't know, but actually. Um, he does know, and he does know a hell of a lot, and he's got a really good view, and um, he's very perceptive in terms of um, how humans and technology are beginning to come together and how businesses can benefit from that without it being unethical or immoral. And um, uh, I'm sure you you, 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 you realised and um, absolutely gained quite a lot, as I did, from, from Damien's answers. Um, yeah, I'm hoping to get him on again with, with a couple of you guys who are listening in the future for a round table. Um, chat and discussion um, as well. I'll keep this this really short this uh, this episode. So um, there's another podcast coming out in the next two or three weeks. Uh, another newsletter coming out in the next week or so. I'm looking a little bit more at some of the big um, uh, tech giants and how their um, uh, technology and their behaviour is kind of really starting to influence um, uh, not just whole markets but whole societies. Uh, riveting stuff. I'm sure you agree, but hopefully you'll get something out of it. Um, until then, um, I hope uh, you and your families stay well um, and hopefully enjoy the, the spring weather that hopefully will soon be upon us. So thanks for listening. Um, take care of yourselves and speak to you soon. Cheers.